Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. Apologies for the hiatus last week. My schedule got away from me with some unexpected busyness, but I'm glad to be back this week. Just a recap of what we talked about last week. Uh, our Gospel Project lesson was over Jesus' rejection at the hands of his hometown folks of Nazareth. So people were uh, liking what he was saying. He was preaching from the scroll of Isaiah, talking about how it was fulfilled through him. It was a prophecy, and they were liking what he said, but they kind of got distracted and maybe a little bit disillusioned because they knew, like, they were like, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this guy from here? Isn't his family from here? And so people had a little bit of difficulty with that. Jesus uh, corrected them and rebuked them by stating some scriptural examples of how in the Old Testament, sometimes Gentiles were often, actually, more receptive to God's message than God's own people. That made them kind of mad. They tried to run him off a cliff. He miraculously passes through. There's obviously a lot that we missed last week. Uh, but that's what happened. And now we're going to actually see kind of a contrasting story where people are going to hear the words of Jesus and they are going to be amazed and they are going to be drawn toward him. Uh, the story from last week was in Luke 4 and will actually be in the same chapter again today in the latter half of Luke chapter 4. We'll be starting with verse 31. Um, so in this passage, as I alluded to, uh, Jesus, uh, he is going to become uh, quite a popular figure among some people in Capernaum. Jesus is going to perform several miracles. People are going to be amazed. We'll talk about why Jesus is so amazing and how he wasn't just amazing then, but he still is. So that's what we've got for today in Luke 4, starting with verses 31 and 32. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So stopping there, uh, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath in a town called Capernaum, as we see, a pretty normal thing to be happening in uh, a synagogue on the Sabbath, right? Pretty normal activity. Um, but the people were amazed by his teaching because he spoke with authority. Now, I do want to mention that Capernaum is a city in which Jesus spent actually a pretty regular amount of time during his ministry. Um, we see that Andrew and Peter um, lived here. We're going to see that Peter had additional family in this town. I won't spoil what we're going to see a little bit later. But this is a place where he ended up spending quite a bit of time in his ministry. Sometimes people refer to this as like a, a base of operations, so to speak, um, that he would you know, come to and then go out to the other places in Judea. Um, I'm sure that I'm certain you will not find anything that says base of operations in Scripture, but we do see him there a lot. And that's why some people have conjectured that or maybe use that terminology. But like I said, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. They're talking about Scripture, which of course at that time would not include the New Testament. The New Testament was being lived out at that time, but they would have used uh, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the prophets, things like that. And so he was teaching, but he was teaching differently than they had heard. He was teaching as someone who had authority. So this is the difference between someone like a scribe teaching, you know, the traditional beliefs around a text or things like that. And that's one side. And then we have the infallible God, who's the ultimate author of the text, explaining it. Okay, so the people could tell the difference between someone who kind of talked about it and someone who 
is the ultimate author and speaks with authority is infallible, right? So imagine now for yourselves, imagine if you were hearing the story I'm telling you today, but Jesus was telling you the story instead of me. Okay. Now, how much more interesting would that be? How much more important would that be? Very, very much so. So that's kind of what we're talking about. This is a, just imagine if Jesus was telling the story about him in Capernaum instead of me. Uh, maybe one day you will get that opportunity uh, to ask about that. But uh, for today, you will be stuck with me. So we'll do our best. But nothing's going to compare to talking to the God of the universe, the author of the Bible, about the Bible, right? So that's what these people in Capernaum were experiencing. They were uh, listening to the author of Scripture talk about Scripture with authority, and they were amazed. They recognized that it was different than things that they had heard before. Uh, but then Jesus' exposition there is going to get interrupted as we move into verse 33 through 37. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. So a demon-possessed man comes into the synagogue, synagogue and makes a big scene, is shouting, talking loudly, confronting Jesus. The demon speaking through the man is both confronting Jesus, but is also afraid of Jesus. It's kind of an interesting situation, um, not in small measure because there's a demon-possessed person in the synagogue, right? That's uh, interesting enough, but then not only is that happening, but then this demon-possessed man is confronting Jesus, this one that they have just noticed he teaches, but he teaches as one with authority. Um, this ha at the beginning of verse 34. So this is actually a, a little Greek particle, a particle being like, you know, just a, a small figure of speech. It's actually not fully understood because it's fairly rare and it's a particle, not like a necessarily a full word. Kind of like, I mean, we see it here translated as an exclamation. Uh, it's believed to kind of be basically from what I read and then what connected in my mind, kind of like a first century version of Bah Humbug. Like it's a, like just a, a noise and exclamation you might make, but it's meant to be kind of derisive, like, ugh, you know, like, so it's this kind of noise that like, I just made the ugh noise that has a meaning to it. It's not just like a, a noise. People know that that means kind of like a disgust, things like that. So some versions you, and you may have read the story before in a different version and they translate it, leave us alone. So that's kind of attempting to get to the meaning behind the exclamation the ESV just kind of leaves it there. Um, which is always a good choice when you're not 100% sure what a, a word means, translating it into a general way so that, you know, then people can talk about it and give their opinion and state that it's an opinion is, in my opinion, a, uh, <laughs> I said opinion a lot, is usually a good way to go. So I, I like that the ESV kind of leaves it there and we have a chance to talk about what it could mean, but then we just leave it. That's basically a ha is almost a transliteration of what the word is in Greek. So um, that's kind of the the believed uh, feeling behind that word is this kind of, uh, yeah, disgust, neg negative, go away. That's why, again, leave us alone is somehow it's time is translated. But that's what is going on here. Uh, regardless of what that word means and, you know, what particles are, the demon acknowledges who Jesus is 
And then again, here's the kind of the fear part. Asks if he's there to destroy them. You may be wondering what them means. I wondered also. Um, probably means like the man and the demon, like the man who's possessed and the demon, possibly other demons. We're going to see in the text going forward, there are other demons in the area, other demon-possessed people. Hard to say. One of those two, probably. Um, Jesus rebukes the demon, commanding it, and the demon comes out of the man and doesn't harm him. Of course, we know that Jesus can command demons. We know he's in charge of everything. But just remember, the people that he's with, they do not know that. Okay, They would not expect that this person, even if he's teaching from Scripture authoritatively, that he would also have uh, command over these unclean spirits, right? That he would be someone who could uh, cast a demon out. They, they are not expecting that. Um, they were understandably amazed. He Again, he speaks with authority and that he was obeyed. So it's this authority that also like led to action on behalf of this unclean spirit. It, it kind of proved it wasn't a, a false authority, right? So for us, we hear these stories. Um, if you have you know read the Bible, been in church, things like that, you, we hear about these things that Jesus does. Um, and so we've get, gotten to the point where we don't really think about it anymore. We're just like, yeah, he does that. Um, we don't really have an appropriate sense of awe at this miracle and the ones he'll do in the upcoming verses. They've become a little bit mundane. That's a, a, maybe a strong word for describing something that happens in scripture, but for us, they've become familiar and familiarity for us sometimes means it's like, oh yeah, we just kind of glaze over it. We don't take the time to recognize like, okay, wait, there's this guy. He's ministering to these people. He's not only teaching them scripture, but he's proving that he has this spiritual authority. And this person whose life for who knows how long has been affected by being possessed by this demon is now free. He's now free from that thing. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal for that man. It's a huge deal for the people there in the synagogue that day. It should be a huge deal for us. I hope that it can. Uh, we can be reminded how huge a deal that is as we read through these miracles. We talk about them. That we can be kind of see them with fresh eyes. That we can recognize. Okay, Jesus was doing some unbelievable things. So as he's doing these unbelievable things, word starts getting around the region about this guy, Jesus. And moving into verses 38 through 41, it says, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. All right, so a lot to unpack here. Um, Jesus leaves the synagogue to go to Simon's house. That is, if you are wondering, Peter. Yes, indeed, good old Peter by his original name. Um, his mother-in-law is sick. This is one of the places in Scripture that we know Peter was married. Um, Paul also will allude to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but it's uh, we don't really necessarily always think about it in that way, that these disciples had other lives before they started following Jesus. So we just know that like Peter was a fisherman, and it's like, okay, he gave up stinky fish to follow Jesus. That's okay. But, you know, he had a family too. How did that play out during the ministry? We don't, we don't unfortunately know, um, but it's, I think it's important for us to know that, then be reminded, like these were people who had somewhat normal lives and then they 
you know, committed to the cause of Jesus. Um, so we do know Peter was married. But anyways, his mother-in-law is sick, high fever, high fever back in the day could be very life-threatening, still can be today if untreated, right? So again, we see high fever and we're like, oh, okay, just like take a couple ibuprofen, we'll be okay. Um, that's not really how it worked back then. Um, so she's really sick. Um, she's probably on the older end if she's Peter's mother-in-law. And remember, the life expectancy is nothing like it was or nothing like it is today back then. So this very well could have been life-threatening. Jesus heals her. They appeal to Jesus and he heals her. The fever leaves her. And then she feels so good that she gets up and starts to serve them. Okay, so she's back to like 100 over 100%. Did she feel better than she did before? She starts serving her guests. So, uh, I mean, just imagine even after you take an ibuprofen and Tylenol, what have you, we're still not like, oh yeah, now I'm going to jump up and I'm going to start serving everybody. And if you are that type of person who does that, actually maybe like go ahead and stay in bed for a little while, like get some rest, heal up. They'll be okay without you. Okay. If I'm ta- if, if you're the kind of person who takes ibuprofen and keeps going, let's take a break. You know, our bodies need a break. Anyways, that's a side note. We'll need another Bible breakdown about that probably, right? Anyways, he heals her. She's back to 100%. So she goes into what would have been first century hospitality mode and serving her guests. So she is uh, not only is the fever reduced, but she's healed. She's fully uh, freed from this fever. The fever leaves her and she's back to feeling 100%. Um, Again, another time when we're probably used to these things. Jesus heals sick people. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Remember, the people are not, the people have the right uh, reaction to this. The people that were there, the people who are amazed, the people who are like, whoa, they have the right reaction. Um, We get too used to it. This is a a miracle. This is an amazing thing that happened that Jesus did. We shouldn't get used to it. Uh, It's not in a way that it's not still amazing. We can get used to it in that we like know that Jesus has that kind of power, but we shouldn't get used to it in the way that it doesn't seem amazing to us because it's still amazing, right? Um, so then, of course, remember, we talked about word was getting out around Jesus. That's We see that in verse 37. And sure enough, uh, people come from all over the place. Um, and listen, listen again to this, just kind of, this kind of shows the scope that we're dealing with. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them. So we kind of get from this. The, the way this verse is written, we kind of see the scope that it is uh, it is wide uh, scope. It seems like it's probably a lot of people, various diseases. Um, we're going to see, we see again in verse 41, that there's also other demon-possessed folks who come to him. So word's gotten around and people are coming to them. And it says that Jesus healed every one of them, all these ailments, anyone who had any who were sick, various diseases. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So Jesus took the time. And again, now now we're getting to the point where like, okay, it's not like one demon-possessed person. It's one person with a fever. Now it's becoming a, like, this is a huge ordeal now, right? We're Who knows how many exactly we're talking about, but it's now crowds of people are coming and he's healing them. Like the amazement level is growing. The, uh, the nature of who Jesus is, the understanding of who Jesus is, is growing because he is not, proven himself to be someone who got lucky once or something like that. He's proving that he is who he says he is, that he has the power not only to speak authoritatively about scripture, not only to cast out demons, but even to heal illnesses. This is not some normal teacher that comes to the synagogue. 
This isn't just a normal scribe who taught about what was in the law. He is something special. And so, like I said, additionally, more demon possessions. We do see there's a plural here. Demons came out of many. Again, we don't know exactly how many that is, but it's apparently it's it's continuing to happen, and he's continuing to show that he has power over spiritual forces. And we also see that these uh, demons are identifying him as the Son of God. And Jesus rebuked them for doing so, and were given an explicit reason. It's because they knew he was the Christ. So he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Okay, so we understand that, right? But that doesn't really mean that we're done asking questions, right? It's like, okay, I see that he didn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, because it says that very clearly to me. But the question then begs itself, why did he care that they knew he was the Christ? Why was that an issue? I think that's the natural question that comes up. Now, as we wade into these waters, these waters are potentially treacherous, and here's why. When we try to discern the why behind something that Jesus does or doesn't want spiritual forces to do that isn't explicitly said, we have only uh, opinions, guesses, conjectures, theories. That's all we have. We do not have the answer. So I want to be clear about that. That's why these waters are treacherous. If we say the reason he did that is because of this, and it doesn't say that in Scripture, I, I, for one, am not going to try to discern all of Jesus's purposes, and I don't think any of us should, if we are not explicitly told. However, I think we can talk about some reasons for why, and with the understanding that it is just an opinion, it is just a conjecture, it's a theory, that we can think through it, and like, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Okay, so let's treat it as it is. It's an opinion, it's a conjecture. So here we go, though. A couple of reasons. This may be, hope you're hearing that loud enough, may be that Jesus didn't want them saying who he was. A couple of uh, theories proposed by uh, Dr. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke. Um, one, it could be that Jesus did not ascribe to the all press is good press idea, right? Demons approving him or calling him who he is maybe would not reflect well on him. Possibility. Uh, Jesus wanted people to see through his words and actions that he was the Messiah. So another conjecture might be that um, he didn't want them uh, hearing explicitly from some spiritual force and maybe out of fear or something coming to him. They want, he wanted them to know him, to see him through his words and actions that he would be proven to be the Messiah. A third possible option, he didn't want the perception of the Christ, which is Messiah, that many had in that day, which would be a political Rome overthrower. He didn't want that perception to affect his ministry any more than it already would. So these are, again, three potential, the um, basically the demons being his press release. Um, he wanted them to see his words and actions, not um, words from a spiritual force. He didn't want the perception of Messiah to be a distraction, those being the reasons. Those are some possible reasons I think we could throw out that um, Jesus would not want this to uh, proceed. But again, as I've said like 10 times, and you're probably like, be quiet. That's just a, that's just a conjecture. What we do know is that he didn't want them sent telling people that he was the Christ, so he would silence them. So we do know that. And he had his reasons, because he's Jesus. So those are some, but those are some potential ones that maybe we in our human frailty and limited capacity could 
wonder, maybe that's the reason, right? So he does, though, um, after this, um, in the last three verses, it says this, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus, after this very, very long day, um, or possibly multiple days, the people started coming when the sun was setting, who knows when they left. Um, he departed into a desolate place. He needed some rest. You hear that? Jesus needed some rest. When Jesus was uh, living his earthly ministry as fully God, fully man, he needed rest. We don't have the ability to be fully God in addition to being fully man. So we also need, you guessed it, rest. Very good. Okay, so he saw, he went to the desolate place. People still went after him. And they were like, please don't go. Um, but he said, this is my purpose. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. So he continued to go in Judea, the region that um, would have encompassed much of what was formerly the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, and so they want him to stay. He goes on and he's preaching to other towns. But we do see the contrast through what I just kind of briefly told you about the beginning of chapter four in Nazareth when he's kind of rejected because they're like, wait, don't we know your family? Um, but then he goes to this other place and people are amazed by him. They accept him. They believe him. They are, um, they, they want him to stay forever. You know, they recognize at least in part who he is and his, uh, the value that it is to be with him. Unlike those in Nazareth did. So as we seek then to apply this passage, there's a couple things that I've alluded to. Um, one is we should continue to remain in awe of who God is and what he does. We should not allow these things that we read in scripture to become mundane, to become overly familiar to the point where we no longer recognize it for what it is, that Jesus is amazing, that he did amazing things, and that we recognize this is who he was, so this is who he is. So Jesus has not changed. Now he is not currently in a uh, in the flesh earthly ministry like he was then that is different but his character what he's capable of what he cares about those things are the same his character is unchanging so we should remain in awe of who god is and what he does and we also i think m most of us are a normative experience i would say probably for most of us especially christians in the united states um, as i am and as many of you are we are not used to seeing things of this nature, right? Healings or um, you know, demon possession, things like that. And in some cases, if we have been around things like that, they may have been used manipulatively, right? So sometimes we can kind of just go the other way and be like, okay, no, I don't believe any of that. We should continue to recognize that God is still capable of these same things, that healing can happen, that we're, we're called to pray on behalf of others, not because... God just wants to have a relationship with us. He does, and he wants us to talk to him. But also, we're commanded to pray. It's not some empty thing that we do just so we can talk to him, right? Like, we believe that prayer has power. So, believing that God is still the same God who he is, not that he answers every prayer like we think he's going to, but that we have the faith that he can, that we can recognize that he is the same God that he was then, because he's God and he doesn't change. So he's still doing these kind of things, whether we see them written down or not, whether we view them with skepticism or not, 
God is still doing these things. God is still capable of these things. And so that, I think, then translates whatever your circumstance is, we should remember this is the same God who's over our circumstances. Our circumstances may be similar. Maybe there's illness and things. Maybe there are spiritual forces at work uh, causing us harm. It's hard to you know, know that for certain, right? But regardless, we have physical, mental, emotional uh, ailments that we go through. And we should remember this is the same God, the same God that we're talking about who laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, the same one who spoke with authority, not just about scripture, but over spiritual forces. He still has that same authority. He still has that same heart to lay hands and to heal. That's the same God. There's a couple of like song lyrics that kind of came up in my mind as I was thinking about this. One is um, a song where it's by Bethel. I'm trying to remember the name of the song. I forget now. I looked it up earlier, but I didn't write it down. But it says that uh, the waves and wind still know his name. Or a kind of a call back to when, you know, the disciples are caught in the storm and he commanded the waves and the wind to stop. The waves and wind still know his name. They haven't forgotten the forces in the world that are under his control are still under his control, right? That's the, that's the heart of that lyric. And that's what should be our heart as well. And then also a, a song that talks about it's the same God who rose Jesus from the dead. That's the same power in the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us if we're believers in Jesus. This is who God is. This isn't who God was. Jesus was only here physically in his earthly ministry during that time, right? But his ministry didn't end when he ascended after his death and resurrection. His ministry still exists to us. So as we seek to read these things and to continue to be in awe of them and recognize the character, the qualities of Jesus, we need to then translate that into, okay, I'm in awe of what I'm reading about what he did then. How can I apply that same uh, vision, image of God into my life now? How can I recognize that the thing I'm choosing to be amazed about that I'm reading, that that God is still at work in my life. He's still at work in the world and how that can influence us as we seek to conquer the unconquerable, the things in our lives that seem like nothing, no intervention of man. Sometimes we feel like no even intervention of God could do anything about that. We can instead choose to see those things as not only as ways to grow, but also things that God is in control over, that he is capable of helping us break through that he's capable of healing, that he's capable of having authority over, of doing the miraculous, of doing the things that are worth sharing about, because that's what he does. That's who he is. So when we are encountering those things, those things that seem way too huge, just like many of these instances in scripture where people were tackling similar things and Jesus met them in that, to know that Jesus is meeting us there, that he wants us to come to him. He wants to lay hands on us to heal us. Again, not expecting Jesus is a vending machine and he does everything the way we want, but knowing his heart, knowing that he wants good for us, knowing that he does have authority over all of these things should give us an opportunity to have comfort in knowing that he sees, to have comfort in knowing that those things are not more powerful than he is, and ultimately knowing that our hope is not found in getting a life in this world that is perfectly ordered, but instead our hope is that we get to see him face to face, that we get to be with God 
forever. I mentioned maybe one day we'll get a chance to hear Jesus tell a story that we've read about in the Bible to hear him tell us himself. In eternity, we may have that opportunity for him to tell us a story that we've read about in Scripture, one maybe that we've never heard about in Scripture, and get to hear it not only from one who was there and can tell the story, but from the one who's the author of that story, of that circumstance. That's the hope that we have. But let's keep remembering that this is the character of God. This is the power of God. These are the things he does. He was powerful then. He's powerful now. He's powerful forever into the future. And we have the joy of getting to be his children. And he wants us to come to him. He wants us to submit these things before him because all things are already subjected to him. It's really just our mindset that we have to change to recognize that these things are under his authority. And as we do, we see more and more the glory of God, the beauty of God, the love of God in our lives and his power over our circumstances. Thank you.